Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll conclude our study of the book of Nehemiah by looking at Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekephrium in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. As we followed Nehemiah's story, we've seen a man who has been chosen by God to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall of the city. He has been very diligent in his work and has been careful to be a person of character and represent God well in his home country. But even with all the work that he's doing for God and for the people of Jerusalem and Judea, he's still facing opposition. Sometimes in our own lives, we know that we're being the kind of person God wants us to be. We're reacting to the circumstances in our lives the way he would want us to. We're saying things and trying to maintain attitudes that reflect his good nature and grace. 
But even with all of that, often those circumstances don't seem to work out the way we want them to. There's a lot of frustration. We just don't understand why there's so much working against us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul wrote, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells a young preacher that you need to be ready. If you are doing the right thing, there will always be those who don't want to see you succeed. Scripture tells us that Satan uses all sorts of evil schemes to try to keep us from accomplishing our work. In Ephesians 6.11, we're told that we should put on the full armor of God so that we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So how does Nehemiah persevere through all of this opposition? How does he manage to keep doing the thing God wants, even though so many other people want him to stop? Well, one thing we see in this section of the story is that Nehemiah understands his opposition. We often hate conflict and want to avoid it. And so sometimes we're willing to give in to the opposition to keep from dealing with what's going on. We're afraid that it's going to be too hard, that it won't be worth the effort. But that causes us to stop doing the things that God wants us to do. Other times we're so enamored with the conflict, we're so excited about taking on the enemy that the conflict becomes our main goal and winning the battle rather than standing firm against our opposition letting God win the battle, and us going about the work that God's given us to do. So in the same way that Nehemiah understood his opposition, we need to understand those who oppose us or our enemies and the schemes that are used so that we can detect them and see them and be better equipped to stand firm against them as we continue to do the work that God's given us. One of the first things that Nehemiah deals with is distractions. Nehemiah tells us that five different times Sanballat had sent him letters saying, you should come down and talk to me. We can work this out. And in verse three, Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Sanballat was working hard to distract Nehemiah from the work that he was doing, trying to divert his attention to something else or something that was less significant. It seemed important. It seemed like a good thing. We can negotiate about this. We can talk it out. But all it was was an attempt to divert his attention away from the work. From time to time, we may get distracted from the work that God's given us to do because there are those who will question us in a way that make us think we need to stop what we're doing and work this out and and fix everything. But the problem is these folks don't want to understand what you're doing They just want to distract you from doing it or to try to talk you out of doing it. And so when we read in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3, we see how the Apostle Paul dealt with possible distractions and how he avoided them. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says God has revealed to us the things that are true and the things that we need to adhere to. And we should not be distracted from those things. So we forget about the things that lie behind us and we strive toward what's in front of us. And we press to gain that prize. We don't lose our focus on where we're headed. 
And Paul says, mature people think this way. So if we're easily distracted from God's work, we need to remind ourselves that there's a prize that we're striving for. We need to be more mature in our thinking about what motivates us. Nehemiah also deals with deception. In verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah said that the letter he had received from Sanballat said that it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together. Sanballat's trying to deceive Nehemiah. He's telling them that, I've heard people saying these things. We need to deal with these rumors. The problem was the rumors weren't true. Nehemiah knew they weren't true, and he proclaimed that and continued to move on. He didn't let the deception of Sanballat deter him from his work. We have to be just as careful in our time of being deceived by others. Remember, Sanballat seems to be someone who was a believer in God. He would have been a member of the assembly, or in our time, we would have called him one of the church members, someone who belonged to the church. But when what Nehemiah was doing interfered with what he wanted, he was willing to say anything to deceive Nehemiah to make him stop. We're warned about people like that being in the church. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul wrote, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul warned Timothy many times that people within the church would manipulate the Word of God for their own purposes. They would hide behind Christianity in order to achieve their own desires. I think we see plenty of this going on in our day as well. People who use the church or Christianity to make money for themselves or to promote a political agenda, they get away from what God actually said and distort it, twist it to get people riled up and follow them or to justify their own attitudes. This is not adhering to what God wants. This is deception, either deception of self or deception of others, but It's trying to convince people that God said something other than what he actually said. And in 2 Peter 2, verse 15, Scripture says, For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. No matter what people are saying or what people are calling you to, it's important to do what God says is right, because ultimately that is the way we silence the foolish. One of the other schemes used against Nehemiah was fear. In verse 9, he wrote, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hand will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hand. The people who opposed Nehemiah were convinced if they could scare Nehemiah enough and the workers who were with him, that they would just give up the work. And so they kept telling them stories that were intended to instill fear. Jesus knew that fear was often the biggest stumbling block to people achieving the things that God wanted them to do. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, that when he came and died and was resurrected, it was so that he could free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If Jesus could take away our greatest fear, our fear of dying, 
maybe we would see that we didn't have to be afraid of anything else, and we could accomplish everything that God wanted us to. Scripture in several places addresses this idea of being scared, being frightened of doing the things that God calls us to, especially in the face of persecution. This is the case when Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, and he's talking about Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and tells his readers that you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And later in that same chapter, he said, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Now, it's easy to say, don't be afraid, but how do we get rid of that fear? How do we overcome that fear? Well, over and over again, Scripture points to one thing. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it said explicitly, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. If we can come to know the love of God, understand it, accept it, and be able to pay it forward and show that love to others. When we grow in that love, we realize there's nothing to be afraid of at all, and fear goes away. Another scheme that was used on Nehemiah was false teaching. A man named Shemaiah had told Nehemiah that he needed to go into the temple and barricade himself in. And in verse 12, Nehemiah said, I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. We still today have to be wary of false teachers, be on the lookout for them. Sometimes they don't even intend to be false teachers. They think they're helping. They think they understand something that we don't, but they're telling us things that are different from what God wants, especially when what they're telling us to do is to stop doing something God wants us to do, like love our enemy, to show compassion to those who have been marginalized or are in need in some way, people who are poor, people who need help in any way so that they can be more open to God's saving grace. Another scheme that's often used by those who oppose us doing God's work is tempting us to seek revenge for those who have done us wrong. There are some who feel that it is absolutely okay to take matters into our own hands and teach people a lesson or set them straight and in some way take vengeance on those who have hurt us or upset us or are attempting to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. But God has said clearly over and over again in Scripture that if there's any revenge that needs to be paid, he'll do it. Revenge is not ours to take. And so Nehemiah prayed to God and said, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Nehemiah didn't stop the work he was doing to teach those folks a lesson or to get them back. He kept doing what God wanted and trusted God would do exactly what needed to be done. These are just some of the schemes that Nehemiah had to deal with when he faced opposition. All of these schemes are alive and well in our day, and there are many more that we need to be aware of as well, so that we can stand firm in the face of any opposition and accomplish the things that God's given us to do. Nehemiah was willing to do that, 
And as we followed his story, we saw in the very beginning, he was willing to fix what was broken. Yes, he knew the walls had been damaged and had fallen down, but he knew what was really wrong was the hearts of the people and his own heart and the work that needed to be done and the transformation of the people that needed to happen for the work to get done. So he started by mending the nation and calling the nation to repentance. Then he paid close attention to what the Lord had put on his heart, and he had a mind to work. He also was able to do all of this while showing compassion to the people who needed it most. And when opposed rather than quit, he took the time to understand the opposition so that he could stand firm against it. And when he had done all of these things, we read in chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, and his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. After all that Nehemiah had done and invested, he was able to complete the wall. He was able to complete the work that God had given him to do. He was able to do this even in the face of opposition, we learn, because his allegiance was to God. There were those in Judah who had pledged allegiance to Tobiah. And because of that, they were forgetting things that God wanted. They weren't eager to even know what God wanted. They just wanted to make sure they pleased Tobiah. See, Tobiah was a prominent man, and they thought it would benefit them to have their guy in office. If he was the governor, they would get the things they needed. God had put Nehemiah there, and there was a political conflict, and people were choosing politicians over God. In our day, we've got to make sure that we're willing to pledge allegiance to God in the face of all societal pressures and political influences. We have to stay true to what God wants because of what Nehemiah goes through and what we see from his opposition. We learn that the choices we make matter. They have long range and far reaching effects on a lot of people and circumstances. If we want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, we'll pledge our allegiance to God and do whatever he gives us to do and make choices consistent with his will. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, kalirachurchofchrist.org, or Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.